Welcome to the Mwango Capital Podcast. At Mwango Capital, we aggregate uh, key information on African capital markets through Twitter, Telegram, and our weekly newsletter called The Baobab. We also hold weekly discussions every Friday on topical issues on African capital markets, and we also engage in analysis and research and training. We look forward to another engaging conversation on our Twitter spaces. Uh, So join us there every Friday so that we can keep having quality conversations on African capital markets. Without further ado, welcome to today's conversation. So welcome to another Twitter space where we try to cover the corporate issues around East Africa. So this is Mwango Capital. I'm the founder, Eric Mokaya, today. We are hosting the CEO of Bank of Kigali. So welcome, Diane. Maybe you can start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and maybe your journey uh, to becoming the CEO of Bank of Kigali. Thank you, Eric. Uh, thank you for hosting me. It is my very first Twitter space event. So I'm very happy and very curious. Uh, to interact with people on Twitter. So as you said, my name is Diane Karusisi. I'm the CEO of BK Group. Actually double also as CEO of Bank of Kigali, the bank. Uh, BK Group is a holding company that is active in financial services in Rwanda. We're actually the largest financial services company in Rwanda. So traditionally we are active in banking. I think this is our bread and butter, but we've been expanding over the years into other financial services. We have an insurance company, uh, Nonlife, general insurance. We have a small investment bank, very innovative, doing fund management, adv- advisory, etc. And we we also have another very exciting business, which is the technology business that is supposed to support all these subsidiaries enter the digital era. And they've been having and, and building some very innovative products. So this is why I'm, I've been at the bank for uh, five and a half years now. Uh, a lot of growth, a lot of learning. And yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to interact more with uh, you on this event and also to interact with the many listeners. That's very interesting that you shared about the bank and especially also how BK Group relates to it in terms of the subsidies that you have. So we're going to dig into that deeper a little bit later. But now in starting your personal journey, I know you studied in Switzerland and also worked at Credit Suisse. Maybe you can tell us where your career has taken you, highlights of your career so far. Thank you, Eri. So, so I actually started off as an academic. After my studies, I did a PhD. I taught statistics at the uh, University of Fribourg in Switzerland. It's a small city in central Switzerland that is bilingual, French and, and German. And then I went on to work for Credit Suisse Asset Management in Zurich. And I was not doing the banking as we do here. It was asset management, uh, managing bond portfolios. Quite interesting. I had uh, a very interesting experience because the, the financial crisis in 2008 found me there. So it was uh, quite crazy times. And then in 2009, August, I moved back to Rwanda to work for the statistics office. It was my first time actually to come and live in Rwanda because as many Rwandans, I was born abroad. I was actually born in DRC and grew up there uh, until I went to Switzerland. So moving back here was quite an experience because I had never lived here. Obviously I had family and friends, but I had only spent weeks on vacation. So it was uh, quite an experience. Uh, so I started to work with a statistics agency, which is charged as you know any national statistics office to do economic statistics, inflation, GDP, but also social statistics, health, education, etc. So it was uh, a very inspiring experience for me because 
moving back, never lived in Rwanda. I were preparing a poverty survey and the census when I moved back. So it was an opportunity for me to get to know the country. So I traveled all the 30 districts of the country. It was really getting to know my country and my people. So it was very interesting. I spent three years there and then I got called uh, to work uh, in the president's office. And I, I think the rationale then was that uh, I had worked in availing very key statistics for planning of the country. And the president wanted me to be sort of a policy advisor. Uh, so I went there and, and I was the head of uh, strategy and policy for another three years. But because I had a background in finance, I was always interested in what was happening in, in the financial sector in Rwanda. So I had served on the board of uh, Banque Populaire, which was the second largest bank at the time, also served in business development funds on the board. So I did many things in the financial sector because I had a lot of interest there. And then I got opportunity to come to Bank of Kigali as CEO in 2016. And I think at the time the board wanted, you know, someone who would bring new perspectives and who also, of course, steer the bank to the digital transformation journey. So which was my big task when I, I joined Bank of Kigali. Very interesting to see how banking is changing and has actually changed in the past couple of years and will continue to change. I always tell my colleagues that our role is to remain relevant in this uh, digital era. And, and that's what we're doing. So I think I've said a lot about my career and my journey. I don't know if you want to know anything more. I think you can ask more questions. Yes, I mean, the experience abroad and also the experience that you had across uh, the various positions that you held, which ones prepared you best to be the CEO of Bank of Kigali? And also, uh, I've lived abroad a little and then met various Rwandese people. There is a strong connection they have to the home run in terms of wanting to go back and contribute to their development back home. Maybe you can share a little bit about what about Rwanda that attracts even those who are Rwandese themselves living abroad and having the strong desire to come back and actually participate in national development like you. Uh, thank you, Eric, for the question. That, that's true. I think uh, many Rwandans and even the ones uh, we, I left abroad feel a very strong connection with the homeland. I think we have a very particular story with the genocide against the Tutsi in uh, 94. And even before that, many of us were born abroad from refugees' parents. And having a home was something like a dream. So eventually when the country was liberated after the genocide in 1994, people felt that they could finally have a homeland. And, and beyond that, I think uh, that the government at the time, and the current government has been all about uh, unity, transformation. And very inspiring, you know, when you look at the growth uh, trajectory and the transformation, it, it's quite inspiring, I think, for all of us and hopefully for other Africans. Uh, so, yeah, so people really feel the connection. They want to contribute because we all believe it's a beautiful journey and beautiful story. And uh, many of us want to have kids uh, growing up here and learning to be a Rwanda, an African, and contributing to the transformation. That, that's what I can say, and uh, I can see a number of people who have a similar journey, who have, were born abroad and who have uh, come back to contribute to the development of the country. So of everything I've done, I think what prepared me, I think it's not only for the job I have currently, but I think for life is this, the time I spent uh, at the office of the president. Uh, yeah, I, I really, you know, learned beyond you know, having a passion for the country. I was very humbled to see people who would think for all Rwandans, look very far at the future of Rwandans and Africa. 
So this has really inspired me a lot. And of course, working in an office that is looking at the strategy for the country, I think really looking far uh, as opposed to being a short-termist, I think that's what has prepared me for uh, the job I currently uh, have. But also I, I learned that it's really all about people, not necessarily the knowledge that you bring uh, to the job, but a lot about the attitude and the passion you put uh, in the job, the curiosity, because you can find people with a lot of knowledge who've even written books, but who remain wanting when it comes to delivering. So I've, I've learned that it's all about people, the, the passion they have, the attitude, the discipline. Discipline is quite important. I've learned that. And in this country, it's, it's very important to be disciplined. But elsewhere, I think in life, it's very important to be dis disciplined and also I like people who are curious and ambitious. So I think, you know, and my job as a CEO is, you know, I don't do stuff. I get stuff done through people. And it's extremely important to have the right people around you. The next question I wanted to ask is about the banking landscape in Rwanda. So maybe paint for us a picture of how banking has developed over the years in Rwanda and how BK Group and Bank of Ghana came about. You can give us a quick sketch of history and also a picture of the banking landscape in terms of market share. How much do you own the assets around? A few figures in 36 would do. Yeah, I think it's a quite competitive sector with, I think we have 11 commercial banks, a development bank, and, and we've seen strong growth uh, and over the years. And because of the ease of doing business in the country, we've seen pretty much every year or every two years, a new bank uh, setting up shop in Rwanda. So we have typically all the large uh, regional banks from Kenya, KCB, Equity Bank, but we also have the Nigerians, uh, Guarantee Trust Bank. We have Access Bank, we have Eco Bank. You know, from Kenya, I forgot uh, NCBA. We also have all the Continental Bank, Bank of Africa. So it's, it's quite a competitive uh, sector. You cannot sit back and hope to keep your market share. And I would say that there's been a lot of reforms to facilitate business in banking. And, and the one I like most is uh, the land reforms and, and the fact that it's very easy for everyone to go to a system, uh, put the unique identifier of a plot of land uh, and know if it is mortgaged, who, who owns that plot of land, etc. So you have a lot of information and it's very easy to, to register collateral. So this is uh, a feature of our sector that makes it very easy for us to do business and, and, and to become profitable because it also reduces operational costs of doing business. So yeah, it's a very competitive sector. We still command a, a feasible market share. We have more than 33% market share in assets. Same, I think, across a lot of metrics, deposits, net loans, gross loans, etc. We have a, a slightly higher market share in terms of equity. So that shows we have a lot of room for growth. What else? You know, we have a large branch network. Not the largest because BPR and now KCB has a large branch network. And we offer all the typical services that you would expect from a bank, you know, accounts, obviously we do a lot of lending. Our main business traditionally has been corporate and SME business, but we ventured into uh, retail business uh, in the past years, trying to excel at it. It's, an, it's not an easy business at all. We are also very active in payments. We are the largest issuer and acquirer here in Rwanda. 
And yeah, we want to go digital. I think this has been our ambition from the past uh, couple of years. And by the way, we just uh, uh, migrated to a new co-banking system uh, this past weekend. It is still a lot of work. It's a project that started two years ago, and we are happy to see it through, although we still have a number of teething issues. But we believe that we are creating the foundation for becoming truly digital and uh, to be able to provide uh, all the services that we have digitally through digital platforms. So this is who we are. This is our positioning in the market. We see, obviously, uh, the large uh, Kenyan banks as uh, strong competitors. And uh, that's why, of course, we cannot just sleep and expect that nobody will eat our cake. Of course, we really want to provide the best service. Some few years back when we launched our digital transformation strategy, our key aspiration was to give anyone, anywhere, the, the best customer experience through digital. So this is what we've been trying to do in the past uh, couple of years. So I don't know if I've answered your question or if you have some follow-up questions uh, around that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, in terms of the banks that come from Kenya, are you thinking of also venturing outside? Have you ventured outside the country? And in terms of value propositions to relate people, what distinguishes you from the banks that are coming from Kenya? What distinguishes you from them? Is it local presence, local knowledge? No. So I think it's a lot of local knowledge and context because every country has uh, its uh, specific context. And us understanding the context of this country, the strategy, the vision of this country, I think we are married to the vision of this country. Us also having the right networks. I always like to have uh, branch managers in the provinces, in the districts who are sort of opinion leaders who are known because I think it's really important to understand what's happening. So I think this is uh, our main differentiator. But what, what we're also trying to do is uh, to venture outside banking and to, into other financial services like insurance, advisory, brokerage. We also have a brokerage business, fund management, because we believe financial inclusion is still low, I would say, not probably the lowest in the region. But we only have less than 40% of Rwandans banked. So we believe there's still a lot of business uh, to do here. And even the depth of uh, financial services, <clears throat> insurance penetration, very low at below uh, 2%. My belief and my view has been from the beginning that uh, let's uh, expand our business in our backyard because we really understand how uh, to do business here. And eventually, you know, after we've perfected uh, digital technology in financial services, we may think of going outside Rwanda and uh, probably have some niche uh, products and markets. But for now, I think in the medium term, uh, the plan is to continue venturing into new financial services uh, in Rwanda. So we are thinking of uh, life insurance. We are thinking of a leasing company and more. So that has been our, our strategy. But again, you know, I'm not the only custodian of the strategy. We have a, a board meeting and we actually have a board retreat next month that will give me and, and my colleagues a direction for the, the medium term. So this is what we do. And I'm actually quite passionate about diversifying away from banking because it's very important even for investors to see that you have a broad diversification of your revenues. I think it's, it's quite important for them. And we've been told many times. And that's why we, what we've been doing today, the insurance business is already a sizable business when you look at the revenue of the group and we want it to grow and to become eventually 30, I mean, all these businesses to become 30 
percent or more to the group. But fascinating that you want to diversify away from banking. I'm curious what makes you not want to be in banking that much? Is it a competition or do you feel you can provide more value elsewhere? And also if you can paint to us a picture in terms of revenues from the various companies that make up the BK group, what are the contributions in terms of revenues and costs and in terms of now and maybe in terms of your goal to see banking become less and less of a contributor to the revenues, how we positioned the, the groups that it's ready for that kind of a future? That, that's a good question. And, and that's what uh, keeps me up at night. I think that banking services, transactions, it, it's going to be more of a commodity uh, because today with your phone in Kenya, um, with M-Pesa, in Rwanda with uh, mobile money, you can do all the transactions that you want. You can pay, etc. So I really feel we, we for, for us banks to differentiate ourselves, we need to provide value addition, value added products on top of just the transaction services. You know, people maybe need a card, but today a plastic card is not as useful for the normal Rwandan as just a phone with a, a, a mobile wallet. So I, I, my belief is that. <clears throat> For me to become relevant to my clients, especially to my uh, business clients, I need to be able to provide advisory. I need to, to set up that one shop where the client can get banking services, but you need to offer a number of value-added services. If it's a client that has a lot of liquidity, you need to come up with a product to tell him how he can manage that liquidity and make money out of that liquidity. If it's a client uh, who wants to maybe list on the stock market, we need to tell him we are able to help you list on the stock market or issue uh, or raise money through a bond, etc. So I think that's the value uh, because we believe we are partners, life partners to our clients, be it retail or business. And only offering transactional services <clears throat> is not what we want to. So, so that's why I, I really believe it's important for us to offer value beyond just transactions uh, because everyone can offer transactions. Tomorrow, Facebook, PayPal, you know, all these global players, Google, are going to come. They have a lot of data. They have a lot of all the technology. They can offer those kind of services. But if you have that sort of intimate relationship with the client, I think, you know, it will be uh, more difficult uh, for all these big giants to compete with you. So that's my thought process. The, the other question was the contribution of, of these other subsidiaries. Of course, it's still quite small. Today, the bank makes about 90% of the revenue of the group. Insurance uh, is uh, number two, it's coming number two, but it's growing fast. They have exponential growth and it's a small business. When you think about it, it's a baby business. We set it up about four years ago and, and today it's already the second largest insurance company in, in, in the country. So we believe there's a lot of growth potential there. So insurance comes second with about 7% of the revenues of the group. And then we have BK Capital Investment Bank, which is still small. But again, a lot of potential. When you look at the, the, the transactions, very inspiring transactions they've had in the past months, uh, they listed the largest telco, they listed the largest cement plants, you know, all these really transactions that are transforming uh, capital markets. And then finally, we have our tech business, which is profitable, yes, uh, but not yet contributing uh, significantly to the revenues of the group, but again, with a lot of potential there. So when I, I meet with people, I even tell them that uh, at some point, we'll even be able to spin off you know, one of these companies and get uh, many multiples when you look at the balance sheets that they have. So we are quite uh, bullish about growing in the country uh, and diversifying our, our business in the country, again, because we really 
have a passion and an understanding of uh, where uh, this country is going. And maybe you know that uh, Kigali is positioning itself as a hub for financial services. So we believe we have a role to play there as the largest financial services uh, company. And we're exploring what other opportunities we can have. Uh, and when you look at the, the number of incentives offered under this uh, KIFC framework, it's really, you know, telling us that there's a lot of potential we can continue to grow uh, in the country. Great. Uh, you talked about listing. Uh, maybe you want to spin off some of these companies. But back in 2018, you cross-listed on NSE, becoming the only cross-listed company from Rwanda. So I wanted to understand what was your thinking uh, around the cross-listing? And how has it been and the lessons and reflections that you've had in terms of uh, that experience of cross-listing? Is it something that you'd recommend other companies to also do? Yes, absolutely. I think it's been a very good um, experience so far. And I believe, you know, in East Africa, at some point, we'll have one big market. And yes, so we took the decision of cross-listing. It was a request from many investors. We were meeting many investors telling us that uh, they love our story, they love the stock, they love everything about Rwanda, but the custody links are quite complicated, etc. So they are telling us, you go to Kenya and we'll be happy to uh, invest in PK stock. So then we, of course, engaged the regulators in Kenya, in Rwanda. We found out that the framework was already there, actually. It's not the framework that we put in place. It's a framework that is there to facilitate companies to list on both markets. We, the, both markets are fully fungible. And it has been a very good experience. Obviously, we haven't had very many Kenyan investors in the past couple of years. We would have expected to see more excitement. But I believe uh, this kind of engagement uh, will raise awareness about Rwanda, Bank of Kigali to Kenyan investors, and hopefully we'll see more activity. But even when you look at uh, the activity on our counter in Nairobi, it's actually more active at the counter here in Kigali because we don't have much liquidity. We don't have many real institutional and even retail investors here in Rwanda. We have two large investors, which are the Social Security Fund and also the Sovereign Wealth Fund. These are long-term investors and they buy and hold. They don't transact much. So you'll see our counter in Kigali has very little activity. But, but Kenya has been actually quite surprising in terms of uh, the, the trades that we see there and the interest. And we've seen also many of our long-term shareholders who have actually moved uh, from the Rwanda counter to Kenya, which I think they are taking advantage of the fact that we have cross-listed. So it's obviously something that I would encourage local companies to do because Nairobi remains the financial center uh, of the region. Maybe you could give us a few reflections that you've had in terms of the cross-listing uh, so far. And then a fun fact that I actually learned in the process of preparing for this, Bonnie highlighted it for me, it's about the turnover of BK shares actually at the NSC being higher uh, than that at RSE. That's something you've also confirmed. Is that true? It is true. It is true. Uh, we see more interest uh, from investors uh, on the Nairobi counter than we see here. And, you know, it's, it's very simple. Nairobi has very many global investors set up to trade in Nairobi because they have all their custodians in Nairobi. And it's a much more active capital market. And, you know, the, our stock has performed quite okay despite uh, the crisis. And that's why we've seen uh, some interest from the Nairobi uh, market. So then in terms of uh, rolling out banking operations in Kenya, since the stock is already there, would you give 
payments and assurance in the near future that they're going to see Bank of Kigali set up there. So this this is not in our medium term plan. We believe uh, Kenya is already not overbanked, but there are very many banks already in Kenya. So this is something that we are discussing. And as I said, have a strategy uh, workshop retreat with the board uh, next month. So I'm going to start reflecting on regional expansion. But my opinion is that we need to look for a, a niche, not necessarily in banking, but in any financial services where we believe we can have a competitive edge uh, in terms of knowledge, in terms of connections, etc. I think if we are to go in the region, we wouldn't probably come with a fully fledged uh, banking license. Maybe we'll do only wealth management. It, it's something that we, we need to think about. Because it, it's difficult to compete with uh, incumbents in Kenya who have roots, networks, etc. I believe unless you bring a, a very special value proposition, uh, it's difficult to compete. So that's my thoughts. But again, uh, I'm not the only custodian of, of the strategy. I think uh, I'll get more um, guidance on this uh, in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. So no, uh, uh, the plan is not to set up uh, a bank in Kenya in the near future. But we want to attract Kenyan capital in Rwanda because we believe if well, many people know now, many investors know uh, the story of Rwanda. I think it's a very inspiring story. A lot of transformation and growth, a lot of potential still. And, and I believe as the largest bank, we are a, a good proxy for anyone who would want to invest in Rwanda. Investing in BK is actually taking advantage of the growth story of our country. Oh, all right. I mean, in terms of growth to Kenya, you don't have to start from uh, scratch. And we have a few banks we believe are very highly undervalued, which you can get almost free, and then uh, they can be your way to scale up operations in Kenya. So if you coming then, you can buy you. I, I don't like <laughs> we like Facebook. I think when you have something free, you know, it's it's often you know not a good thing because you find the things hidden. And in the end, you have more problems than opportunities. Definitely. Uh, so in terms of the, the three different arms of the group that you run, how do they synergize? Do you see them more as a conglomerate or do you see them more like one holding company with several companies that have cross synergies across the group and all? And also for BK Capital, uh, recently SBG Securities relinquished their brokerage license to partner with you. Uh, so in terms of that partnership, how do you see different arms of developing better partnerships as they go forward. Maybe you can talk a little bit about it. So we have obviously a lot of synergies because we have already a large network of branches and we serve mainly business clients. That's why our clients, we always have opportunities to cross-sell and to sell insurance services, to sell any other services, including uh, technology services. So, so that's why we find it maybe easier because we have the access to the client and for these new businesses that we're setting up, uh, client acquisition is not that expensive because they're already part of the family, if I may say so. So, so that's why it's been, you know, not easy, it's never easy. Uh, when you set up a new business, it's never easy. And my colleagues uh, who run uh, these businesses will tell you, but at least we have a portfolio of clients. And if we have a good relationship with them as a bank, they'll find it easier to get all the other financial services from our sister companies and to have all the services in one shop. So our ambition eventually at some point is to be able to serve our clients on digital platforms. 
So someone who has the BK app will be able to trade on the stock market to buy treasury bonds, to buy and sell stock, to also renew his uh, license, insurance license, etc. We want to have everything offered on the app because we understand people now want to transact uh, real time, anywhere, at any time. And, and, and our ambition is to be able to offer all these services uh, on our platform. In terms of that strategy, I think that's a really good strategy that you want to create a one-stop shop for any businesses that want to transact with you. So I think one approach that some of the Kenyan banks have taken is that they want to do a lot of m and activity across the region and to expand rapidly. And, and as you said, like it's made me a strategy that you may adopt in future. But when you look across the region, where do you see opportunities in terms of uh, where are the unbanked areas? And if you look across uh, East and Central Africa, if you've explored the region a little bit, uh, I know you've lived in DRC. So where, where do you see opportunities, not just for BK Group, but generally across for anyone who wants to set up shop there? So obviously, I think DRC is a very big market for all companies in Rwanda. And, and I believe because there's... If, if I tell you that in Rwanda we have 40% formally banked, I don't know that statistic in DRC, but it's probably less than 10%. So I believe there's a huge potential there. Of course, the hurdle is going to be a regulatory framework, etc. And doing business in, in DRC must not be as easy uh, as it is in Rwanda and in East Africa in general. But I believe the potential is definitely there. And I, I'm seeing some random companies uh, taking advantage of the opportunities there. But the neighborhood, Tanzania is a country with uh, huge opportunities. Uganda, the same. But unlike uh, probably my uh, colleagues, uh, bankers in the region, I don't believe replicating a business model that you have in, in your home country is the way to go. I really believe that you need to find a niche. Obviously, in Rwanda, we are trying to do everything. But if you had to go uh, in DRC, for instance, or in uh, Burundi or Tanzania, I think would really perfect one service or product. And, and, and you know, only it, it's, it's a way of also mitigating the risks because trying to offer everything in a, a country that you don't know is probably difficult. Of course, my colleagues tell me that I'm risk averse, but, you know, I feel if you're starting a new business in a country and a context that you don't master, you'd rather start small and do something that you have a full mastery of. So that's my opinion. And in the region, because we see a lot of transformation, a lot of wealth creation, I believe there's, there'll be opportunity for Rwanda yes. because it's a safe country, the rule of law is transparent, a lot of accountability and close to zero corruption. I think if we start building businesses around wealth management, we'll be successful. And these are the kind of businesses that we would export in the region because we see a lot of wealth being created. And we also know that in Africa, people typically would want to save uh, their money abroad. But with the compliance hurdles nowadays, it's more and more difficult for Africans to, to save or invest uh, elsewhere. So I think it's something that where I see an opportunity. And if I was to decide, I think I would, I would go there. All right. I want to pick up a few questions that we've seen across the Twitter spaces. There's someone called Emmy who's asking how you deal with defaulters and what measures you've taken in terms of reducing the NPL 
maybe to ask a broader question, how is COVID affecting banking in Rwanda and in terms of the non-performing uh, loans that you are seeing, the growth over that period of time? Uh, a good one. At the height of the crisis, this was the uh, second quarter of, of last year, things were really bad. I remember we had 40% of our book, our portfolio, restructured, and we had given a moratorium to 40% of our clients because they couldn't simply service uh, the faci their facilities. So as we speak, this number has gone from 40% to less than 4% which shows that the business is picking up progressively. And that 4% is in the hotel hospitality sector, because this is a sector that hasn't fully recovered yet. Clearly, because Rwanda used to be uh, a top destination for events, events are happening, but not as many, and with as many visitors as we used to have. So that's why uh, all our clients in, the, in that sector are still struggling to uh, meet their installments. But overall, I think COVID has had massive impacts on the economy, putting a lot of people out of a job. Many businesses had stopped. And even today, we have a number of restrictions around curfews, etc. So business has not fully recovered. But we believe with the very effective vaccination program that the government has put in place, I think yesterday I checked, we had more than 3.5 million people with at least one dose, which shows that we are really going towards 50% before the end of the year of the adult, adult population. So it, things are improving and I'm crossing my fingers that uh, we can have a, a happy Christmas, all of us, without a mask, if possible. But yeah, COVID has affected the economy. The government uh, set up a number of programs to support these businesses that are struggling, hotels, but also other businesses through what they called an economic recovery fund. We are, of course, one of the uh, biggest participants, and we would borrow from the government to own land to our clients at the subsidized rates. So this has supported many clients to survive the crisis, and we are hoping that in two, three months, we'll be able to see that COVID is behind us. So how do we treat defaulters? You know, we don't like defaulters, obviously. I don't, so it's not the right time for, for us to start auctioning because there's no market simply for these assets. But we try to micromanage them. and We try to make sure we get as much value as possible from the business. And we advise them because normally when someone has invested, nobody wants to lose the business and to lose the assets. But sometimes they lack discipline, they start diverting their revenues to do to open other businesses, or they want to expand too fast. And this is where the problem comes. And I think with my colleagues, we all always say, we need to advise these people, even the people who are very successful today, we need to advise them and, and tell them to keep the discipline because things can change. And, and now people know that in the in economy, you have business cycles. In the past year or so, people would never think that Rwanda could go in a recession because we had had a steady growth for more than 10 years, 8% on average. All the statistics were extremely impressive. So people would not think that uh, they need to save, they need to you know, be prudent. But now I think it's going to be very easy for us when we engage our clients you know, to remind them to be disciplined and to be prudent because they know, they understand now that, you know, uh, business cycles are real. 
Great. Another question is because you say you have a, a fintech technology kind of, um, what's your thoughts around fintech and the threat they, they put out to banks in general, traditional banks, and how are you addressing that for yourself? And are you intending at some point to have a capital venture, which can also invest in some of these fintechs that threaten to disrupt the business of the traditional banks? Yeah, I think fintech is very exciting. You look at these people who are coming to disrupt us and they actually show you where your issues are, where the pain points of your clients are. And the great thing about it is that uh, it has sort of showed all banks that we are not here to stay. If we don't do the right thing, we risk to disappear or to become irrelevant. But I believe because of the regulatory framework we operate under, which is sometimes uh, quite uh, constraining, I think it's good to have businesses that are smaller, more agile, to specialize on one particular aspect and, and to provide financial services that would be probably more difficult for a, a big bank to provide. And, and we are seeing that already in payments. Today, we have more fintech in payments, digitizing payments, offering a lot of data that all of us can consume and making payments real-time seamless. So this is a great thing. I think the economy, I mean, needed that, especially during the COVID crisis. People needed to be able to pay digitally, quickly, seamlessly, and, and you know, affordably. So I believe there's a role for fintech. There's a, a place for fintech. But I believe this does not raise the, the place of bank. I think we can coexist because even a fintech will need a backend integration uh, with a bank just, you know, because the, the, the money has to go somewhere, has to sit somewhere. So we still have a role to play as banks. And what we're trying to do with our fintech is to, the, the, the role of big key tech house is to create digital consumers for the banks, but also for the, the other uh, subsidiaries in, in the group. So they are the, in the business of developing platforms uh, for farmers, for agriculture, agric for education. And they have one of the, the uh, one platforms that they've developed where they were able to register more than 2 million farmers. These are almost all the farmers in this country. And this is typically uh, a sector that, that is unbanked or underbanked. And now we are working with them to see how we can provide the financial services to farmers. Because I believe agriculture is clearly the next frontier for banks, for commercial banks on the continent, because it's a big part of the economy that is largely unfunded. So yeah, so this is what they do. We want to be disrupted from within and we work uh, collaboratively with them. We tell them this is a sector where we, we believe there's an opportunity. Can you help us to create the data, the framework, and then we can come with uh, tailor-made financial services. And this is what we're doing. So it, it's quite exciting, actually. What they're doing is quite exciting and is attracting a lot of attention from people beyond Rwanda. And although they're not making a lot of money yet, so we believe the potential to, to make money through monetizing the data because they have massive data that would be interesting for any business and even for the government. When we are able to monetize the data they have, I think I would be able to, to make a lot of money. There's a question that has come through about the dividend paying strategy. If I remember correctly, you paid dividends this past year and most banks, because of liquidity, say they wouldn't be paying. So I want to uh, understand what's your thinking around 
paying out dividends, and that means a capital allocation in terms of capex, in, in terms of investing back in the in the bank, in terms of paying back to shareholders. And also, maybe have you thought about share buybacks to boost the share prices, like some companies in Kenya have been doing? And so, maybe you can give us a picture of, about your banks thinking around capital allocations and dividend payment. So, so actually, we, we did not pay any dividend. Uh, we declared a dividend for 2019. Uh, but because of COVID, the regulator actually restricted all dividend payments for the year 2019. So we are still keeping that as a payable in our books. We haven't paid to shareholders yet. We are waiting uh, for the regulator to give us a go ahead. For 2020, we did not pay at all any dividend. Uh, and that's why many of our investors and shareholders are not very happy. Because despite the performance, the strong performance during the crisis, we're not able to pay back some money to shareholders. And I believe it's a good policy not to distribute everything because you want uh, the company to keep growing organically uh, without going back to shareholders and to the markets to raise uh, new equity. But I believe, especially for a stock like uh, BK that is not very liquid and that uh, has not appreciated a lot in the past uh, years, it's absolutely important for shareholders to get some cash out of uh, their investments. And that's why we keep you know, pushing uh, the regulators to see if they can allow us to pay dividends. So traditionally, our payout ratio has been between 30 and 40%, sometimes 50%, depending on the performance of the year, which we, we believe is the right thing to do. So we are able to re-inject the, the other parts into the business uh, to be able to grow organically. Actually, in 2018, we did a capital raise through a, a secondary offer. It's not an easy thing to do. I would not want to do it again. I, I think I speak for my colleague, my CFO. I don't know if she's uh, here, but touring the world, uh, telling people about Rwanda, about Bank of Kigali, and, and people having sometimes some very funny perceptions about Africa, about Rwanda, and even being surprised that uh, you are a, a woman CFO or a woman uh, a CEO. It, it was not fun. So I'm, I'm really hoping that I won't have to do it again and uh, we can continue to grow organically. And I think we even give more value uh, to our existing shareholders and we don't need to uh, go back to the market and eventually dilute them. That, that's my uh, opinion on dividend payments. I believe it's important, especially for uh, a stock like ours that is not very liquid. I'm sure the shareholders are rejoicing when they hear that there is someone at the helm who really thinks about their dividend. I know there are uh, several institutions, at least in Kenya, who withheld dividends uh, during the past year. Uh, because of that, the investors have been very much disappointed and that has shown up in the share price. So maybe a quick question that has come through is, do you own shares in the company and uh, in the park itself, in the sense of yourself buying them? I mean, how much skin in the game do you have in terms of holding shares, Bank of Kigali yourself? Yes, obviously, I'm actually a big shareholder in, in uh, the business because I believe in this business. I believe in the growth potential. And above all, I believe in the, the story of Rwanda and the transformation of the country. So I believe BK, the group, is poised for growth and for performance in the future years. So there's a policy in BK for share ownership for senior member of the staff community. So we progressively buy stock during the secondary, uh, the right issue. We also bought shares, many of us, uh, senior members of the staff community. So we have a lot of skin in the game. And sometimes when we are fighting with regulators and uh, telling them that we need them to relax the restrictions around dividend payment, 
they think we are doing that because uh, we are shareholders ourselves and we also want to get a dividend, which is right to a certain extent, but we believe it's just important, especially for a stock like uh, BK, that is not very liquid. That is, in my view, I believe also undervalued. When you look at our current price, we are trading below book value. The multiple is, is ridiculous. So, so we believe it's a good thing to give uh, shareholders some cash and to give them some liquidity out of the stock. Otherwise, some of them will just be disappointed. They keep waiting. And if there's no uh, liquidity, if the price is not appreciating, then eventually just dump your shares, which becomes even more difficult for you. So, so that's why I think I am a strong believer in you know, paying out decent dividends uh, on an annual basis. Great. Uh, so a couple of questions which have come in. One is, how did you manage to win market share on the formal market leader, I think, which is BPR? It's difficult for, for me to say because even before I joined, we were already the market leader. But I believe if you know the story of the bank, we listed in 2011. And at the time, I think the rationale for listing was building a branch network, so which we did aggressively. And I think we're also just doing a better job, providing better services than the competition, even in the region, in the provinces. And we ended up getting a, a better business. And I think now for us, the rationale is not to build more branches because we actually closing down some branches. We've reduced uh, our branch network, not significantly, but uh, we've closed some uh, redundant branches uh, in, in Kigali mainly. Now, the, when we went back to the market in 2018 uh, with the right issue, the story was we are going digital. So we wanted to invest in our, our digital infrastructure, which we're doing. And uh, we believe that uh, we are able to gain even more market share with uh, the current strategy because it's becoming easier, cheaper, to win over a customer because we just need someone who has a, a phone and an internet connection and you can get this client and, and offer your services. So this is what you're doing. And, you know, in the end, serve, the service sector is about people. So if you have the right people providing the right level of service, treating your customers right, I think there's no secret. If you do this better than others, you'll get a better business and you'll grow faster. All right. So it's something about APIs. Does uh, your bank have APIs and when are you opening them to startups? Obviously, I think API is uh, the business of the future. You need to have an API framework and be able to integrate with uh, any third party quickly. So today we are working with a number of fintech here for, for them to provide services through our API integration. And it, this has worked. So we actually had a, a crisis yesterday because one third party payment provider was not able to get services paid through uh, their platform because uh, the API was down. But we've been able to restore it early this morning. This was uh, a result of the recent migration uh, we did and those issues we still have around stabilizing uh, the systems. So yeah, we have uh, an API business and I, I believe this is the, the next frontier for banking business. We have now an integration with Alipay. We want people to be able to send money to China instantly and at uh, very affordable costs because today we still use a traditional uh, Swiss platform uh, for people to send money abroad. Uh, but this, with these uh, integrations, we'll be able to get uh, people to send money instantly from their phones and of course at, at very affordable prices. So yeah, we have the API framework. I'm not the 
best place to explain how it works, but obviously it is open for us to interact and connect with third parties to offer our clients services from the third parties, but also to offer third parties payment business to uh, their clients. So this is how it works. The next question is about crypto. Um, how open are you to having crypto in your balance sheet? It, it seems a good one. I, I'm actually not a, a big believer in crypto. <laughs> You know, I'm just a very boring and old-fashioned economist. I, I believe you don't just create a currency. It has to be backed by something tangible, by some value, or at least by a government that is trustworthy. So this is my belief. And when you look at the, the recent trends in all the crypto, including Bitcoin, I think it's just that it's a demand and supply that is playing. You have a high demand of something that, in my view, has little value. And obviously, I call it inflation. I think economists call it inflation. So that's my view. I know it's very old-fashioned and not uh, very interesting for most young people. But I just feel it's a bubble that is going to come down at some point, to explode at, at some point. Another question is about the explored product around the Islamic finance and Islamic banking. To be honest, no. It's something that may be interesting, but we haven't thought around uh, Islamic banking because we, we don't see yet the opportunities in this market. But eventually, if at some point we believe we, we want to expand beyond Rwanda, it is probably going to be something important for us. But for now, we are not considering Islamic banking. A couple of more questions uh, that are coming in. One question is, could you give us a, a picture in terms of the investment landscape in Rwanda? Which are the hot sectors? How is the growth going on? And what's the size of the economy? Thank you. So obviously, if we have investors uh, on the event, I would tell them that uh, financial services is a hot sector because I want them uh, to invest in the BK stock. But I believe there's a lot of excitement around manufacturing. Even ourselves, on our balance sheet, we've been financing a couple of large manufacturers, cement, agro-processing. I think there's a lot of excitement there as well. But overall, I think uh, building material, because we are a country, a region in uh, transformation where everything is being built, the roads, the homes, everything. So, so I believe manufacturing is a very exciting sector. In the region, labor costs are still quite reasonable. We now have more and more talents. And when you think of other inputs like power, it's becoming more and more affordable, but also reliable. So I believe uh, we'll have a boom in that sector in the next coming years, which is, I think, good for transformation and for the economic growth. All right. Maybe you could give us how the future of uh, BK Group looks like. If you're to pay for the investors who are interested in investing in your institution, like what would you tell them the future would look like when they're investing in BK Group now? Fundamentally, I'm a value investor. I would not buy a stock that is selling at huge multiples. And I believe when you look at the price point today, uh, BK is quite undervalued. And it's not me uh, saying that. All the research pieces are putting us at uh, 300 in Rwanda francs and, and beyond. So I, I believe uh, we offer exciting opportunities. But overall, I really believe in, in the story of Rwanda uh, as a country. When you look at the growth trajectory in the past, it's a very young country. Stability very good governance, and the, the basic infrastructure has been laid out. Uh, I think the government has been quite intentional at, at building the basic infrastructure. So now it's really the time for uh, the business communities to take advantage of all this infrastructure that is built and the very good business environment. So we believe we'll see many 
companies from the region expanding into Rwanda and maybe even targeting Eastern Congo in particular because it's a big market that needs pretty much everything. And these are business opportunities for us. So when you look, think at uh, banking penetration in Rwanda is still below 40%. So this is a market that is open, is right for us, especially that we are building our digital capabilities. Same with insurance, we are, we are below 2% penetration. The, the growth potential there is immense and we need to be able to design the right products that are tailor-made for our people. I think my colleagues in insurance always say that as much as you don't need to sell banking products because people need not just wake up uh, one morning and think that they need insurance. So yeah, I think there's a lot of potential to design the right products and to have uh, the right uh, distribution capabilities. Investment banking, we have nascent capital markets with a couple of uh, listed equities. We have a number of companies that need to diversify their, their, their capital base. Most of them still rely only on, on lending from commercial banks. But now I think BK Capital has shown that people can uh, raise funding from the capital markets. They is recently issued uh, an energy bond that was oversubscribed even. So people are now understanding that there are other ways to raise capital. So I, I really believe we have so many opportunities for the group and we're expanding into uh, other businesses like uh, life insurance. And uh, yeah, we have the distribution capability. We have the people. It's extremely important. We have the right people. Uh, with the right attitude, right knowledge. And we have an environment that really facilitates us to do business. So for all the investors that would be on the call, if you don't buy BK now, you just regret in a few months or years, you'll be left out. That's a good one. I wanted to also find out what's your leadership style? Because you, you talked about getting the right people and giving them tasks. And of course, you don't do this, but you get things done by having the right people around you. Would you maybe describe a little bit about your leadership style? How do you look at managing people? How do you challenge them to grow? And how do you make sure that you don't become a legacy institution that everyone wants to disrupt at the end of the day? So you're on the cutting edge of business. So it's difficult for me to tell you or to tell people what my leadership style is, I think it would be better to, to ask my colleagues. I want to think of myself, of someone who is collaborative. I don't take, sometimes I have to, but I don't take always top-down decisions. I want to discuss. I want to convince people that it's the right thing to do. And I want people to own whatever they're doing. So I don't need to come all the time and ask them if this is done, you know, and to check on quality, etc. So yeah, it, it's really difficult for me to, to tell you how I am as a leader, but I, I really like to focus on the future, on strategy. And something that I like a lot also is to interact with stakeholders because I get very inspired when I, I talk to uh, many people that, who are not necessarily in the bank. I get a lot of inspiration from talking to uh, shareholders and clients. So yeah, this is uh, the kind of leader I am. I don't know if there are people on the call who can say more, uh, but usually I don't like to talk about my leadership style because I'm not sure. I understand. We're coming to almost the end of our talk today. So I want to come back to the person a little bit and maybe you can tell us about some points of advice that you have for someone starting out, maybe thinking of moving to Rwanda or starting off in their career today. Some things you wish you had known at the beginning of your journey and maybe you can share to them career advice and something that can inspire them. Perhaps as the ladies in the audience who want to also be CEOs like you, um, what could you share from your knowledge and experience? Um, to challenge them to also uh, be like you. Interesting and, and difficult at the same time. So yeah, I think it's important to have passion because it's like fuel. If you come to work every day and you want to do 
meaningful stuff. You really have to put your heart into it. It, it cannot just be a nine to five job where you just you know, check boxes and, and go home. I think you really have to put your heart into everything you, you do. And it gets seen uh, by people who work with you because they see the commitment, they see the, the willingness to grow and to learn. And eventually, I think things will just, will just follow. So it, it, for me, it's, it's important to put meaning in everything you do. And this is the only way for you to have some meaningful impact. So that's what I would say. In the past years, I've been thinking that in my next life, I'll probably study IT. And I wish I had done more of computer science and programming when I was at school. Because when I talk to all these people around me, around concepts that I don't understand, I have to always Google and understand what I mean. I really feel it's quite important to have a basic digital skills, not just being able to go on your phone and upload or download some apps. I think it's, it's important to have some basic digital skills for the future because I believe the, the future is digital. Uh, so to the young people, I'll tell them, be sure to put some time into uh, programming computer science because this is where the world uh, is going. And yeah, put passion into everything you do. I think that's what I would say uh, to end this event. Thank you so much for joining us today. Definitely, it's been a pleasure. It's our first time with OSIC Summit from outside Kenya, and at least as a CEO level. So very, very appreciative of that. So we hope to host you again when you release your Q3 results. And then you can also share with us, maybe you could bring your CFO to, to explain to us a little bit more. So thank you for joining us today. Maybe you can give us your parting shots uh, if you have any today. Not much. Just to thank you, Eric. It's the first uh, Twitter spaces for me. And it was actually an enjoyable experience. And I look forward to more engagement and discussions and to learning also a lot from uh, the Kenyan market. Because I, I believe it is one big market, the East African region. And it's important for us uh, to interact with our peers and with investors in the region. So thank you very much uh, to everyone for listening. And wish you a happy Friday and, and weekend. All right. Thank you and see you next week, all of you. Uh, so we say bye at this point. Bye-bye.